0: awesome, isn't it? So quickly, next weekend is Labor Day weekend. We're going to have communion, uh, but we're also going to hear from our team that just got back from Japan. God's doing some really, really neat things in Japan, and I wanted you to hear about it. So make sure you come. But then two weeks from this weekend, we get back into what kind of our bread and butter, what we believe God's called us to do, which is we study the Bible together. We are right now in the study of the book of Revelation. This spring, we did the first three chapters. So if you're familiar with the outline of the book of Revelation, he's told to to write about the things that he saw. That's chapter one. The things which are chapters two and three, the church Churches, the seven local churches that are in Asia Minor. And then the things which will come hereafter, that starts chapter 4, verse 1. That's where we're at. That's what we're picking it up. We call it the beginning of the end. How does all of this stuff come to an end before Jesus sets up his kingdom? Of course, one of the big questions is... Well, what happens to the church? Because the church is mentioned like 20-some-odd times in those first three chapters, and it's not mentioned again. So what happens to the church? question revolves around something we call the rapture. That's what we're going to start with as we get into chapter 4, so really encourage you to come. But this morning, if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So Tuesday is my main study day and you know it's baptism weekend we want to do something talking about that and I mean I don't know if it was the Lord I don't know if it was the pizza I had on Monday night but I you've all heard of the KISS principle right? Keep it simple And I'm sitting there, and that's just kind of what my spirit, I'm sensing from the Lord. You know, keep it simple, Steve. (laughs) Kiss. and Or you may know the other, and that's probably true too. And that's what I wanted to do. That's why 1 Corinthians 15 came to mind. Because 1 Corinthians 15, Paul just details out the gospel that we've been talking about. Uh, He... Course of course, if he started this church at Corinth and now he's writing to encourage them, but as he gets to chapter fifteen, he kind of takes them back to the brass text. So let's read these first eleven verses, and then what's uh let's just kind of jump into it. He says this: "Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel." Good news which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God but by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace toward me did not prove vain but I labored even more than all of them yet not I but the grace of God with me whether then it was I or they so we preach and so you believed the gospel the gospel the good news is predicated on the the reality that you and I have a problem and it's sin we see this in verse 3 he says the importance of which I received that Christ died for our sins what so many people fail to recognize is that we have this problem and it's called sin and the reason that it's a problem is that this sin separates us from God God is holy God is Righteous God is perfect. God cannot fellowship with that which is imperfect. So when he creates man to be his image bearer, we see that he walks with them, he talks with them, but then they chose to rebel. And in their rebellion, sin. And now God has to kick them out of the garden because, again, God is holy. He cannot fellowship with that with that which is imperfect and so it's sin and though a lot of people understand that what I think we struggle with is that it's a huge issue because typically what we do is we look at it from our perspective and we go well I'm not as bad as that fella right I don't do any of the really bad stuff I've never killed anybody I've never raped anybody I've never you know set fire to something except as a kid but that was accidental right um But we don't realize how bad this problem is. See, the Bible tells us that sin is anything. It can be a word, it can be a deed, it can even be a thought or an attitude. I mean, Jesus says if you hate your brother, you're like a murderer. Anything in our life where we fall short of God's perfect standard. And again, we like to see it from our perspective. Well, I'm not as bad as the next guy. Well, let's think about that for a moment. Let's suppose that there was a person who was really good, and they worked really hard to live a good life and to do good things, and they came to that point in their life where they were so good, they just sinned just three times a day. Now, i got to be honest with you. I'd be really impressed. But let's look at it for a moment from God's perspective. That same person who seems really good to you and me in a year's time would sin against God over a 1,000 times. I turned 63 this year. I know I'm much younger in person. But that would be 63,000 felonies, 63,000 offenses on my record against God. You see, this is a huge problem. God cannot fellowship with that which is sinful. The Bible puts it like this. Sin brings death. Now, when we think about death, we think about physical death. The separation of the soul from the body. When the Bible talks about death, especially in relation to sin i think more often than not it's dealing with what we would call spiritual death the separation of our soul from god that's what happened in the garden can i remind you how many sins did it get to get for adam and eve to be kicked out of god's presence just one it's a huge problem And the reality is the Bible tells us we all have sinned. There's not one of us that escapes this problem. The Bible puts it like this. There are none righteous. No, not even one. In Romans chapter 6, he says, for all have sinned. It's a problem that we all have. That is the issue. That is why Jesus came. That is why we needed good news. Ah, but there is good news. There's good news. And the good news is, is that there's a Savior. His name's Jesus. Notice the word that Paul uses here in verse 3. I received that Christ, right? We we, we obviously know he's talking about Christ Jesus, but he uses the word Christ. Christ is, what Christ means is he's the promised one. He's the anointed one. He's the one that God chose to bring salvation. So when you think about how in the Old Testament, God continued to promise that he would send someone, Jesus is the Christ. He's the one that was the the promised one to come. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is that as he came, what was different about Jesus was that he wasn't merely a man, but he was also God, the perfect God-man. So you go to John chapter 1, and John starts out that beautiful book when he talks about how in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And not one thing was made that he did not make. But then he gets to verse 14, and he says, and that Word became flesh. He's speaking of Jesus. The perfect God, the creator of all things, now becomes one with us. He becomes part of his creation. And in being coming part of who we are, what he's able to do is he's able to live a sinless life. There's no separation between him and the Father because he walked in perfect obedience. He's God. He's holy. He's just. He is that perfect God Sacrifice now, that perfect Savior. And that's what we needed because God now provides a solution through Jesus, who lives a perfect life. Now he can become our substitute. Our substitute. So Jesus is going to go to the cross so that he can bear our sins. He can pay our penalty. He can stand in our place. And what you got to understand, this idea of substitute is woven in the pages of scripture from the very beginning. So you go back to Genesis 1. God creates man, creates woman. He walks with them. He talks to them. They rebel. They're kicked out of the garden. Remember what happened when they rebelled? God told them there was a tree they weren't to eat of. They chose to eat of that tree. Now there's guilt. There's shame. There's a realization of their own nakedness. And so they go and they find fig leaves. Now, I don't know that much about fig leaves, but there's part of that story that has just always bothered me. That had to be somewhat uncomfortable, don't you think? <laughs> Wearing fig leaves. They disobeyed. God can't have that same fellowship with them anymore. They're kicked out of the garden. But what scripture tells us is that what God did is that God now made them clothing of animal skin. The implied picture is that now something had to die to cover their sin. A substitute then you get to the law and we had the passover lamb right the 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 lamb whose blood was going to cover us and you had the day of atonement when the goat and the and the bull were sacrificed and his blood taken in on the altar sorry this whole sacrificial system there was going to be a substitute well jesus was the one that all of this is pointing to who was going to come and be our substitute As the perfect son of God, he was going to stand in our place and bear our sin. I mean, Isaiah puts it like this, looking ahead, and and don't miss the the pronouns here, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourgings, We're healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all turned to our own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. So, as Jesus goes to the cross, all of my sin, all of your sin, placed upon Jesus. And now all the wrath. The best way I know to illustrate this, and I've shared it before, because to me it's a credible illustration, so if you've heard it before, bear with me, but let's let's suppose that this Bible, instead of being a Bible, it was a record of my life. So it would start with my birth certificate, one day it will end with my death certificate, and written on the pages of this book are everything I've ever done, ever said, ever thought, every attitude of my heart. Now I tell you two things about this book. Number one, to be a lot bigger because I'm 63 now, right? So a lot of stuff in there. Secondly, I can guarantee you I would not be carrying this book around because I wouldn't want any of you nosing into this thing. Because though you may find some good stuff that I've done, there's some stuff in here that I just assume nobody ever know about. And the Bible says that God keeps these kinds of records. You, you find it. In fact, we're going to look at it in Revelation chapter 20. So here's the problem. Here's me. Here's my sin. Here's God. Now, the Bible says God loves me and wants, wants me to know him, but there's something in the way. It's my sin. And I'd like to know God. I'd like to have a relationship with him. But again, something's in the way. Now, as people, we think we can solve the problem. Well, I'm just going to turn my life around. It doesn't fix the problem. Or we get really serious, and I'm going to turn over a new leaf, but it doesn't fix the problem. So what Jesus did is he became a man like us, and he goes to the cross. And as he goes to the cross, God takes my whole record book and your whole record book and puts it upon Jesus. And then all of the all of the punishment all of the wrath that you and I deserved he pours out on his own son. One of the most interesting things about that scene at the cross he's pierced through for our transgressions he's crushed for our iniquities is that one of the last things that Jesus says is he says, it is finished. In his language, just one word, very common word, to die. It meant paid in full. The debt's been paid. And you go, he's dying. Who cares about debt when you're dying? Well, Jesus cares, not about his debt. He was perfect. He cares about my debt, your debt. And he, when he had paid for every last sin, he cried, It is finished. It's paid. And then he dies. And to make sure he's dead, they stick a spear in his side. Blood comes out mixed with water. They they take him down, they wrap him in the claws and ointments, they put him in the cold, damp tomb, and we'll talk about in a moment. They they seal the tomb so he doesn't come out, but yet three days later, just like he promised, he'd come out, our sins are now taken away. And what he can give us is that relationship with God. He was our substitute. Jesus provided that forgiveness and a restoration of our relationship with God. And then if you get into 1 Corinthians 15, which is the heart of this passage, what, what Paul's gonna actually focus on is the proof of the resurrection. Because this is the biggest apologetic that we have for our faith. And Paul even steps into it here when he starts talking about how the appearances of Christ over 11 times over the next 40 days Jesus appeared over and over one time to over 500 people he ate with him, he walked with him, he talked to him, you got the empty tomb, you had the changes in the disciple, Jesus conquered death, how do we know it's true? how we know it's true is the resurrection it's interesting throughout his whole ministry Jesus asked by what power do you do this what a sign do you give us and he He never pointed to his miracles. He never pointed to his teachings. He pointed to something in the future. He said, you're going to kill me. You're going to put me in the grave. Three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. In fact, so much so that his enemies, who actually are the ones who put him to death, the Pharisees went to Pilate and said, this guy said he's going to rise from the dead. We need you to seal this. Roman seal. Anybody breaks it, put to death on the spot. We need centurion guards, Roman guards, right? The best fighting men at that point in history the world had ever known to guard that tomb to the fourth day. Yet, just like he promised, the third day, there's an earthquake, the stone is rolled away. By the way, not to let Jesus out, but to let us in to find out he's already gone. Jesus conquered death. It is the great apologetic for our faith. Not only that, it is the thing that gives us That hope for the future now is one who has a relationship with God. That relationship with God is not just in this life, but it's for all eternity. That we're going to spend eternity with him. That we have a home in heaven. Jesus said in John chapter 11 i'm the resurrection and the life he that believes in me will live even if he dies and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die you know the first part we get we think about oh yeah that future resurrection you know the rapture when, when all that takes place but what does he mean by that last part and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die what do you mean he's standing there by the tomb of lazarus who believed in him and lazarus was dead For 2,000 years, people believed in Jesus and they've died. What does he mean? He who lives and believes in me will never die. Well, Jesus is the creator of life. Jesus understands this way better than we do. Jesus understands that this body is not the real you. That's why if you lose your hair, you lose fingernails, you lose a gallbladder, you lose an arm, you're no less you than you were before because the real you is not this body that's why for those of us who are getting older right and our body tells us no you can't do that but our spirit keeps saying yeah you're right because we're young on the inside because that's the real us this body is just a house and to everybody who believes in jesus Who conquered death? There is no fear of death because we know the moment that these lungs take their last breath, this heart beats its last time, they're going to say, He's dead. I want you to know I'm going to be more alive in that day than I am right now. Because to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. There's a new body. We will never die, we just get promoted. Here's the best part of the good news is there's a way for everyone to experience it. Everyone. There's a way for every person to, no matter what is in your book, to know forgiveness, to know acceptance before God. And that way is Jesus. That way is Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. How do you experience it? You experience it by faith, right? The the way is faith. Trusting in Jesus alone. Understanding that I could never save myself, and so Jesus came. By the way, if I could save myself, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die. If I could have just been good enough, or gone to church enough, or done enough good things, or been baptized enough then Jesus wouldn't have had to die Jesus' death on the cross proves there is no other way and what saving faith is is coming to that point of realization that I cannot save myself but choosing to believe that Jesus came and died for me and paid for my sins I accept his forgiveness and I invite him into my life by the way it's not Jesus plus what I do. It's not Jesus plus I got baptized or Jesus plus I went to church or Jesus plus I walked little old ladies across the street. No. Jesus alone. Jesus alone. Let me finish with this. It's probably a verse most all of you know. Probably the best known verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him. Notice what he doesn't say. That whoever lives a good life, whoever goes to church, whoever is baptized, it's not how you experience it. Whoever believes in him. And that belief is an act of the will it's not our emotions we don't work i believe i believe no 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 it's a choice of the will i choose to believe that jesus came and died for me so here's the question for you have you come to that place it's the only way of salvation and yet god loves you so much and he maybe even chased you here today or chased you to be watching this on online because he loves you and he wants you to experience the grace and the forgiveness and the relationship with him but you got to put your faith in Jesus would you pray with me